0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network.
1: The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts.
2: Welcome to the Walking Dead TV Podcast, episode 94, but something a little bit different tonight. We're going to journey back all the way to the Walking Dead TV Podcast, episode 21, which was entitled Breaking Mad. And we're going to be doing Breaking Mad Part 2, Los Podcast Hermanos, where we talk uh, the two most recent seasons of Breaking Bad and of Mad Men. So if you're a fan of those two shows, stick around. If you're not... You should definitely check out episode 21 first, because we're probably going to be talking about some more spoilery things here. That first episode was much more of an overview of the two shows, and we've got much more recent stuff to talk about tonight. But regardless, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Gentlemen, are you excited? And before I say gentlemen, are you excited? Russ is here, of course. And we have a very special guest on this episode, Mr. Frank A. Rincon from Half Hour Wasted. Hey, guys. It's wonderful to be here. Well, we are super excited to have you, Frank. You are podcasting royalty, as we were saying off the air, and it's always a pleasure to hear your voice. Thank you. So before we talk about the amazing shows Breaking Bad and Mad Men, Russ, who is our sponsor tonight?
0: This episode of The Walking Dead TV podcast is brought to you by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can find tons of deals on your new comics, graphic novels, toys, all kinds of great stuff. A particular note this month is the big walking dead 10th anniversary stuff that's going on. So, they've got a Walking Dead number 1 10th anniversary edition which you can get for 50% off instead of the cover price of 5.99, you'll get it for 2.99. Um and I imagine that will have all kinds of goodies. I can't believe it's been 10 years since this comic book was launched um as well to celebrate that 10th anniversary issue 115 of The Walking Dead in many different covers that are available including a, a, a blank variant is available uh, you can get those all for 40% off of the 299 cover price so they will cost you 179 plus there's tons of other merchandise walking dead related there's t-shirts there's the art of Charlie Adlard who is the artist on the, the walking dead since issue number 7 uh, he has a hardcover with a bunch of his art in it. Great, great stuff. Uh, don't be afraid of late orders. Uh, you know, typically they like for the, the orders to get in by the by the end of the month. Um, if you're a little late, like I always am, you can definitely send those late orders in. They'll be happy to take them. Also, this month there's there's some Vertigo bundles. If you're a fan of DC's Vertigo line, there are a couple different bundles that you can get for 50% off, as well as all of the Marvel and DC hardcovers and trade paperbacks. Every month are 50% off. So huge discount over at dcbservice.com. If you're a fan of the digital comics, be sure to check out their uh, digital portal where you can order your link up your Comixology account and order through their portal and earn 5% back on your purchases for DCBS. So if you like those big hardcover collections or trade paperbacks and like your digital, you can load up on the digital stuff, use that credit to go ahead and um, get you some nice hardcovers or trade paperbacks when they go on sale. And if you haven't... Uh, ordered from them in over a year, or this is your first time ordering, use the code WD8 to save an extra 8% off your order. So again, Discount Comic Book Service, we thank them for their support of The Walking Dead TV podcast.
2: Thank you, Russ. So gentlemen, what is your favorite thing about Mad Men?
0: The fact that it exists. (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough.
1: Very good answer.
0: Yes, yes, yes. No, in general, I'm a huge history buff. So, like we talked about last time on the show, I've never seen a show that evokes a period as much as Mad Men. And that's what I love about it more than anything. You know, if this if this were a show set in modern times and some of the episodes where not a lot of stuff was really going on, I think it would be a lot more dull. But I think there's enough distraction as far as making you think, oh, wow, people just couldn't whip out their cell phones or look on the Internet or... You know, have all this information readily available that, you know, people can't get a hold of people easily. And, you know, just the cars and the the way people dress and the whole, you know, especially the last two seasons, we're really getting into the whole 60s counterculture thing. And they're really bringing that in to the show a lot more than I thought they even would. Again, I love period pieces. Uh, I love history. So to me, this just really does a good job of, of putting you in that period.
2: Frank, what do you enjoy about Mad Men?
0: Well, definitely everything that Russ brought up, but
1: you know, the the characters, there are a lot of characters on the show that you just love to hate. Just love to hate. Uh, you know, uh, Pete uh, first and foremost, he's just he's one of those guys that just ugh, he's such a jerk, <laughs> you know? But uh he's just so much fun to watch because he's just the levels he will go to sometimes to to, to get what he wants done and he's two-faced and and but, yeah, he has that that slimy smile uh the whole time, and then there's there's those wonderful little characters like uh like Roger, who you know every show he has a quote that just makes you smile or he just says something that just makes you laugh. you know it's really the characters for me
2: and I love the characters. I love the setting for me it's it's just the writing in general it's it's so tight, it's so carefully scripted and and so purposeful. People sometimes complain that Mad Men is slow, but for me, it's, it's just a methodical trek through the journey of these people's lives, through the time period, and it's so well-written that I, I, I absolutely love it. It's not my favorite show on television. That's one we'll talk about a little bit later, but it, it's very close to the top. It's a exceptional show. Now, when we had last left Mad Men it was the end of season four. Now we've just wrapped up season six. That's how long it's been since we've talked about these two shows on the air, which is amazing to me. But Russ, I I know you've got notes. So where did we leave off in season four? What are we jumping into with season five?
0: One of the big changes for season four was the firm had actually split. It used to be Sterling Cooper and uh, the, the firm got up by a bigger firm and we found out they were just kind of put on the back burner. And so, by the end of season 3 they pretty much decided to split off and do their own firm. So season 4 was a little bit of kind of like getting its legs back and kind of reinventing the show. So season 5 was kind of a lot more comfortable in its shoes again. Um we you know one of the big things was at the end of season 4, uh Don and Megan getting married or that was that was the plan and I know there was a lot of speculation at the end of season 4 going into season 5 of was it really going to happen? Were they going to go through with it? Was it going to just you know go by the wayside? Um, and they really went full bore uh, into that with with um with season five, and I thought that to me was a big surprise because knowing how Don was and how he acted, and especially his, you know how, you know how he was with Betty, you just kind of saw the same thing happening with Megan. Uh, and season five was a bit of a change of direction, because that's not really the Don Draper that we got in, in season five. The other part that I really enjoyed about season five was the bringing in of Jared Harris. Who I know
2: primarily from Fringe, but who's been in many, many different projects and is always wonderful in them.
0: And of course, he, uh, Jared Harris played Lane Price, who really, we found out, was a bit of a, a tortured soul in Season 5. He had a lot of demons, a lot of tax problems, a lot of just issues with his wife. You know, they finally moved to America. He was a vital part of the firm. He was kind of the the purse strings of, of the firm, so to speak. And unfortunately, it didn't end well for him in, in Season 5, but I really enjoyed the journey of his character in Season 5 and just how I you really felt bad for him. Particularly (laughs) when his
2: father came to visit. I mean, that was rough, man.
0: Yeah, but you really felt bad for him because the guy was, you know, really just, I mean, he got the short end of the stick at the firm. I mean, he was never really very well respected, and, you know, he he had the most stressful job, I think. I mean, he had to keep the money flowing and payroll going, and he had to go to, you know, people to get money and to, you know, to do things. Um, And he kind of just had this one little slip, you know, towards the end, and it all kind of fell apart for him.
1: Oh, and it was such a small slip too, and it's you yeah. can you you can almost like understand why he did it, even though it was wrong. But he's done so much, and it was it was tragic.
0: Yeah, and then you know for some of the other characters, it was I mean I, you know we got to see Pete Campbell's character kind of continue on the journey that he was he was on. Um, we got to see you know Elizabeth Moss, Peggy Olson asserting herself more, becoming more of a key player in the firm, kind of. Uh, you know, wanting to to kind of spread her wings and do her own thing a, a little more. We got Christina Hendricks' character, Joan Joan Holloway, ho, who became John Holloway Harris and had and had a child, uh, and all the tribulation that she went through with the the abu- abusive husband coming back from Vietnam and then ha- was having to go back again. Well,
2: not to mention the stuff she went through with Jaguar and the firm. I mean, it was a a, a rough turn for the character, but as and I know a lot of people complained about it as a as They complained about her doing what she did, but the way she leveraged that to her advantage, I thought was pretty admirable.
0: Yeah, it was interesting, you know, that they they went, I mean, that was a huge deal, and it was kind of funny how Don reacted very negatively to that. I mean, he kind of viewed it as, uh, you know, kind of her as, you know, most of the women around Don, he he seems to have a, a very romantic and sexual relationship with. Or affiliation with, and the two exceptions to that uh, are Joan and uh, Peggy, which is kind of funny because I, I think he feels more of an attraction to to Joan than Peggy per se, but I don't think he thinks of them in that way. And when she had to, to sleep with the with the guy from from Jaguar for them to secure the deal, he responded very negatively. It was almost like somebody was taking advantage of his sister, you know, or his daughter, or something like that
2: well or in particular his mother you know due to that relationship
0: what well, true true um but he responded the most negatively
1: and it, it, it you know with with Peggy and Joan they're they're both trying to be successful but they're definitely taking two different paths and it's almost like which one is more honorable i know i'm jumping ahead but at, but at season 6 it seems like uh, like Peggy really comes into her own career wise while Joan while she may be a more powerful person in the firm She still doesn't have a lot of power in the firm because I think people look down on her for sleeping
0: her way to the top. Well, not only that, but I think also when she became a partner, she kind of separated herself from the group that she kind of had an iron hand over. I mean, when this show first started, there was no doubt about it. She ruled that office. People were afraid of her. People you know walked on eggshells around her and and she she had more power than probably anybody any single person in that firm as far as the day-to-day running goes and w- when she did what she did for the sake of the firm and herself to become partner we kind of saw where she separated herself from the dated you know the 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 secretaries and the in the office pool and the in the receptionists and all that kind of stuff and i you you didn't get the impression from her character that she was as authoritative and as feared as she was at the beginning of the show her reputation
1: has been smudged and she just doesn't carry the the, the power that she used to
0: yeah one of the characters it, it's funny that really has kind of, it kind of cracks me up that he he basically positioned himself in this spot to really kind of stay out of the way avoid work to just kind of be able to do his own thing and to gain perks uh was harry crane and I love the fact, you know, knowing what we all know now about where television goes and where, you know, <laughs> that kind of advertising goes. The fact that this guy was just looking to just kind of get away and be able to do his own thing, knowing that probably in ten years he's probably going to be the most powerful person in that firm, hands down. Um, I, I just think is hilarious. Like he, he, he just cracks me up because he thinks, like conceivably he probably brings in a ton of money with his you know billings and everything for tv revenue but yeah nobody really takes him seriously i don't think he even really takes himself seriously um but he, every so often he has these moments where he feels like he's got to storm in and just you know be that guy and and i think everybody <laughs> kind of looks at him like what the hell is wrong with you yeah you're only doing television come on Yeah, the thing
2: that will keep him from becoming the most powerful guy in that office is Harry Crane. I mean, he's just, (laughs) he's a lout, and he always chooses the absolute worst time to barge in with no context for what everybody else is doing, and just demand he get his fair share. And it happened several times over uh, season season six, and I believe in season five as well, but it's funny, I mean, I've always liked the character of Harry Crane, but I don't know that I realized how much of an idiot he was until season six, where it just became painfully apparent that he is doing everything he can to put his foot in his mouth constantly.
0: And he's almost like a caricature. And I I think that's probably intentional, given that he's so focused on Hollywood. You know, he's becoming this very shallow uh, person. You know, he he's he's out in Hollywood for the perks. I mean, he rents the the Mustang and, you know, he's always got the sunglasses and he's, you know, at the Hollywood parties and he's all about trying to you know it's funny don you know falls into into women effortle- effortlessly and so does and so does roger for the most part you know they just kind of they just have that natural charisma and 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 all that harry wants to be that so bad and thinks he can be because he wields this power uh, and he really just doesn't live that lifestyle i mean i don't see harry out in hollywood um, you know sleeping with a bunch of movie stars or tv stars um, but but I think he thinks that he either should be or tries to convince people that that that's the way he's living his life
1: right
2: <laughs> and at least at the office they are not buying it
0: <laughs> right right the funny thing too with with season five was the whole relationship between don and um and megan and i kind of alluded to it when you know when we first started started this discussion but did you guys really think that that was going to evolve the way it did in season five that it was going to become the serious relationship and Don was going to kind of settle down and be a better person and and kind of uh leave the philandering behind um
1: I I kind of figured that it would you know Don is looking for happiness and and he thinks that you know it's either going to be in the arms of another woman or or just doing the straight and narrow and that's what he does in this season in season five he decides i'm going to be a family man i'm going to do it right i have this young beautiful wife and everything will be fine and you know while while the show was airing i i was talking to some co-workers and and uh there were times where we would talk about like this don is kind of boring because you know he's trying to do everything right we kind of love it when don don screws up so I knew it wouldn't last, him trying to be the perfect American husband. Well, and the weird thing in
2: particular about Donna and Megan's relationship, at least in the beginning, was at the end of season four, that proposal kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I guess they'd been seeing each other for a few episodes, but the, the real question going into season five was, well, he proposed to her, but apropos of nothing, and will it last And Uh, I think it's amazing it lasted as long as it did not to get too far into uh, Season 6. And I'm trying to remember, it has been uh, since it aired, since I've seen Season 5, but didn't it end up that he really was fooling around on her, even a lot of the time when we thought he wasn't?
0: No, no. No,
2: he really was faithful for a while?
0: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until that last episode of the season, unless I just missed something and, and, you know, they, they alluded to it and didn't see it, but I kept waiting for that other shoe to fall. You know, I kept waiting for him to and he he put himself in situations where that could have easily happened uh and it didn't and it but, wasn't until that very last episode where he's sitting in the bar and um you know that woman comes up and i think i think it was uh, you know she asked him if he wanted a drink or they struck up a conversation um i think and, she says and are ne- you alone and he looked oh, at her oh that's it yes and that's yes. like and we a never great saw who line. the woman was um you know, we never saw the woman, but then when we see season six, I, I'm assuming that it was, um, you know, it it was, uh, the do, you know, the doctor's wife
2: would make sense. Yeah. 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 You well, know, yeah, and, uh, and these last two seasons in particular, not that the other show, the rest of the show hasn't been this, but the last two seasons have been like the systematic destruction of everything Don Draper about Don Draper. It was just him screwing up over and over again, but not in ways that were lovable anyway anymore just ways that were destroying everything around him and as we go into season seven which i believe will be the final season it'll be very yes. interesting to see can he put the pieces back together can he rise again like a phoenix and actually be a good guy this time like what's going to happen with him because at where we've left him the, the dude's got nothing
0: yeah
1: yeah, you know, you, you know, and Russ, going back to, to your description of Don being good during season five, I seem to remember there was an episode where everyone wanted to go celebrate, and they went to a cat house, and uh, and everyone hooked up with, with a prostitute except for Don, even though he had an opportunity right. to, and he was like, nah, I'm fine, you know, everyone else kind of do your thing, I think that was the episode where Pete's, prostitute uh she put on three different personas and he finally decided on the one that that called him a king or something like that yeah and that was the persona he liked he was like yes i am a king Because pete
2: wants to be don he wants to be the king (laughs) yeah and he most likely never will be
0: yeah one of the things i think and i i noticed this in season five and season six was we didn't seem to get a ton of Roger um, and I really missed that. I mean, I, I know in season <laughs> five, we got the one episode where him and his, and his wife dropped acid and that was, that episode was pretty focused on them. But to me, that's not the Roger. I like the wisecracking, quick witted, um, always got something, you know, snappy to say Roger Sterling. I mean, that's the Roger I love. And Maybe I love it as much as I do because we don't get it in large doses. So when you get it, it it, it really counts. But I, I really wish, you know, to me, you can't have enough Roger. You really cannot have enough
2: Roger. <laughs> oh, I agree. Although this season did give him, season six specifically, did give him give him room to stretch with like the, the funeral of his mother and dealing with that. <laughs> I mean, that was a really good episode yeah. for, for him.
0: Yeah. My favorite was when he brings... uh I forget what what the guy is. The, he the his kind of nemesis in the show that that used to work at the firm and then went to go work for CGC. And when the firms merged, he brought him in and took great pleasure in the fact that he got to fire him twice. <laughs> yes,
2: that's right. That was pretty fun of that one actor to to agree to come back just to be fired again. I did enjoy that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, Roger reminds me a lot of uh, Doctor Spaceman from Thirty Rock if you remember that character
2: <laughs> chris parnell uh,
1: dr spachemin yeah leo spachemin and the, the only reason is that you know they use that character very sparingly but when they did it was always a home run and that's kind of how i feel about roger like if you see him or if he's going to speak you know it's going to be a home run you know it's just going to be so funny
2: how important is teeth retention to you i <laughs> uh, gotta love gotta love dr spaceman yeah yeah, yeah, and I agree. I mean, I think what both of you guys are saying is true. It's great when you have the funny, wise cracking Roger, but it's best when he's in and out of the scene. He comes in, he says what he needs to say, we all laugh, and then he leaves. Too much of that wouldn't fit with the tone of the show in most episodes and would just be too much of a good thing, I think.
0: One of the things that we talked about in the last show was the character of Salvatore Romano, who... Left the show after season three. You know, he was like one of the casualties of when the firm split. Um, you know, he kind of—I hate to say—was outed as as gay, but outed in front of Don, even though Don really didn't seem to care. Um, you know, Don was just kind of like, "Well, okay, whatever." Um, but it, it really freaked him out. And unless he makes a return in the in season seven here. We'll never get any real resolution with his character, and I, I was I was always hoping that he would show back up. I mean, we've seen Paul Kinsey come back. Uh, that that was last season, I guess. Michael Gladys's character, Paul Kinsey, uh, showed up as this uh, Hari Krishna, um, you know, guy, and went to you know he went to um, to Harry for help, and that 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 episode was just kind of crazy
2: with his Star Trek spec script, if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, yes. yes.
0: <laughs>
1: That's
2: right.
0: Oh, um, but I was always kind of sad that we never really got like catch up with him. Like, what happened to him? Like, what, what you know, what became of him? I mean, because conceivably he like took off at the end of of that season. Like, literally, like didn't just go home to his his you know fake of a wife. Like, he just he like wigged out and just bailed. I I, I seem to remember the last scene was him. On a
1: payphone in Central Park yeah. at night, you know, inferring that you know he was hooking up with other, with other men, and just kind of giving up to to his will about what he wanted to do, and it kind of painted the picture of of kind of desperation on his part.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, maybe it's possible we'll uh, we'll we'll get to see him in 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 season seven. And,
2: and Matt Weiner, the you know showrunner for Mad Men, is kind of intoned that. While it's unfortunate, because he loved the character too, he kind of feels like that's the place that Sal's story arc had to end, in that, unfortunately, in the time, that was how all too many of those stories ended, and to not do it that way would be disingenuous, and to bring him back would just be... Wouldn't be right because he wouldn't be welcome back in in that time period. He would, you know, be ostracized. And with the introduction of a character in season six, who I'm sure we'll get to, Winer kind of felt like this was their chance to revisit that topic in a different way, kind of do it right, and focus on another element of uh, you know being closeted in 1960s New York City. But right, you know, and right. and
1: we are headed to the 70s and it was a little more open-minded and while it's nothing like it is is uh, today, you know, I I think a, a gay man would have would be a little more accepted in the 70s as he was, maybe in the 60s. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Although it still would
2: have been, you know, a jailable offense at the time that that these characters are are existing. Which is uh, unfortunate, but hey, that's uh, that's what history really was.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got, we, we you know, we kind of ended season five. You know, when you look back on the other thing we didn't get a lot of, I think, in season five or season six, and to me, thankfully, um, was we didn't get a ton of Betty Draper. Uh, we got some Betty Draper. We got a lot of Betty Draper in season five.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I see what yeah, you're yeah, saying, Frank. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> yeah. That was not uh, not the best thing the show has ever done, uh, both in makeup effects and some of the story.
0: That just I got old. Like, but I, I, was I thought just...
2: she was really good in season six, though.
0: I I will, and and it's yeah. I guess this would be a good segue to to, to season six. Um, the episode where her and Don meet at the camp um, at Bobby's camp, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, she actually has a little bit of acting chops there. Like, I think that was probably her best performance i've ever seen because i have i've been on record i don't think january jones is a very good actress at all um and in fact when we recorded the last episode of breaking mad one of the things i said was she's going to be in the upcoming x-men first class and we'll see if her character is just written very dry or she can't really act (laughs) um and as we saw in x-men first class i think it's true she just really cannot act
2: Although I would say that the truth is probably a little bit, uh, a third thing in that the show writes to her strengths. And so since she's not the world's greatest actress, they write Betty in a certain way, which can be annoying, but also works for the character.
0: Yeah. And, and like I said, I think, I think she had a couple shining moments, uh, this season and that one in particular, uh, I, I was, I was, act- it, it really stood out to me as, as kind of a, sh- a shining moment, maybe not, uh, morally a shining moment, but, uh, but a shining moment for her portrayal of that character.
1: She, uh, you know, early on in, in the series, she, she just played the, the pretty wife and, and kind of very shallow and, and, and she definitely played that part really well on the, uh, for the first few seasons. And, and as you described Russ, it's just, you know, when she had to stretch that acting muscle, uh, it just, it wasn't really there that much, you know, it just, it just felt, hollow at times there wasn't that big umph, but um yeah that that camp episode that you talk about where she where she plays the seductress in a way um yeah in a different kind of way is is it's you almost kind of have to go wow look she still has it even after going you know even after having how many kids four kids five kids and divorce. She looked and, very good in that episode. Yeah, and having all that weight and then taking it off and guys are still checking her out and you know, she still has it.
2: And, and particularly the scene between well, there's multiple scenes, but the scene between her and Don in bed was one of the best scenes the two of them have had I think possibly ever in the show where they, you know, now that they're kind of on equal footing, they're both out of their marriage to each other. They're they've moved on in their lives they're able to talk about things honestly for one of the first times in the show and i thought that scene played really well in an episode in general that played really well
0: yeah no i i absolutely agree and
1: i'm sure and i'm I'm sure there's some there's a power trip for uh for her being that you know don has this beautiful young wife and yet she can still seduce him you know the ex-wife right oh yeah
2: well, I mean that's Don's thing. I mean, he's never happy with what he has. He always has have to, has to have something different, even if that different thing is something he used to have.
0: Yeah. And what she even has that line. She's like, "You know, I really feel sorry for um for Megan because she doesn't realize that the you know, the best way to get at you is to love you." Right. And I was just <laughs> like, "Whoa. We, we really saw a different Don Draper. This season. And I mean, this, you know, if you could, if you want to categorize season six, I would call it like the fall of Don Draper, uh, which sounds kind of funny because he, he's, he's kind of a fallen man to start with, but, uh, but he's really, you know, he just, he starts to get so involved and so, uh, enthralled with, uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, Sylvia, Sylvia Rosen, uh, played by, uh, Linda Cardellini. The and, awesome
2: Linda Cardellini oh, from man. one of my favorite shows ever, Freaks and Geeks. It's available on Netflix. If you've never seen it, it's only one season. You have to check it out. It's fantastic. Who, who did she play in Freaks and Geeks? She was um, she was Lindsay Weir. She was the lead essentially when she was much younger. That
1: was her- wow. Didn't realize. Yeah. Well, it. she
2: she still looks good. They aged her up quite a bit for Mad Men, and particularly the um, the Elizabeth Taylor haircut did not help. Yeah. At yeah. least in the terms of of what yeah. age she looked like, but i mean it's weird to say but Lindsay weir was me in high school if i was a girl and (laughs) so i really connected with that show and with that character but it's just a fantastic show in general and it was such a weird thing to see her here Uh, you know along with like topanga from boy means world who was uh, another minor character like all these you know people from 90s shows and early 2000s (laughs) shows that i remember popping up in mad men was very strange
0: She's, uh, Linda Cardellini is the, is the reason that Thelma wins in the Thelma or Daphne conversation. <laughs> no, no offense to Sarah, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We love Ian Buffy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but he, he starts skipping work. You know, he's like, you know, and he's always kind of had his little interludes. You know where he saw the lady. You know the the artist that lived in Soho, and he would you know kind of bail out and meet up with her every so often. But it or seemed the like the California
2: it, trip back in season one, where he just disappears. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It, but it seemed a little few and far between. Like that was like a big deal when he would do that. Um, and in this season, it was all the time. Like he's constantly taking long lunches, coming in late, leaving early, not able to be communicated with basically letting the creative team do their own thing and not directly supervising them and being somewhat disinterested in what's really going on. And and even the bit, and I'm curious what you guys think, but when he's in the hotel and they're trying to land the Chevy deal and they realize to some degree that their small firm getting a bite at Chevy and uh CGC getting a bite at Chevy are more just a, a courtesy and just a way to put pressure on the uh bigger firms to kind of up their game or whatnot. And it kind of came on the heels of the other partners getting together and deciding to take the company public so they could all kind of cash out. And when Don got wind of it, he was not real happy with it. So I took the whole teaming of Sterling Cooper Draper Price and CGC as Don's way of getting back at those guys because he you know the whole he wasn't involved in the whole going public thing, I don't think he really wanted to do that um and I think he saw this as a way to kind of to kind of up the ante and to get back at them. I don't think it really in my mind it didn't really have that much to do with Chevy as much as it did all the other stuff going on you know with with Don and his in his world
2: well, I can see that because Don does not like to answer to anyone, and once you go public, you're answering to everyone who's a shareholder um which would not be conducive to him.
1: You know, uh Russ, I I didn't put that together until you just just uh said that because I always thought that that merger was a little fast and forced, but now that you frame it that way, wow, it it really stands out. It it makes it makes more sense to me now which the
2: merger is important for another reason that we kind of glossed over a little bit earlier but Peggy left the show or she at least left Sterling Cooper Draper Price in season 5 uh to join uh, CGC Cutler G- Gleason and Chow, and this was their way to bring her back into the fold as well uh, much to
1: her chagrin you know when when she left the show i was i was really dumbfounded i i just thought how is this going to work <laughs> you know because she's just uh i mean she she's a major character and are we really gonna lose her and and um you know is she just going to become a b character now and uh, i i'm glad she came back because she's one of those characters that you've seen her grow so much and i just want to see her story continue
2: you've seen her grow from a scared little girl into essentially the female don draper now at this point
0: yeah for for all the good
2: and ills that that intones
0: yeah, and as much as she would like to to not agree to that, I mean, she definitely had it out with, I mean, Peggy became, started to become a really complex character because I think part of her motivation in the beginning to go to CGC was to, you know, to kind of write her own ticket, to do her own thing, to get away from Dawn and prove that he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have, to, she didn't have to live under his wing, um, and I think Dawn was okay with that for a while, but I, I think part of that whole CGC thing—I think that was definitely on his mind as well. Um, but she started to to become in love with with Ted Chaw, even though she was um, she was seeing what was it name not Stan. Abe Abe was her Abe, boyfriend yes Abe
2: the, the one she stabbed in one of the most hilarious <laughs> scenes oh, that was in awesome. the show's history.
0: <laughs> well, it's so it's so funny because <laughs> Abe is like this ultra-liberal newspaper reporter i don't want to live up on you know in the hoity-toity area i want to raise my kids you know in, in and amongst the con you know m- you know more a variety of people and they they buy this whole apartment building because obviously peggy is doing quite well at this point um <laughs> in this horrible part of town where there's constantly stabbings and shootings and sirens and and you know, homeless people living, you know, in in the doorways and and you know and things like that, and
2: which is exacerbated by the Martin Luther King uh, assassination in this in this season.
0: Right, right. And so Abe, you know, is, is trying to take this high road, and the more there and Peggy kind of goes along with it, uh, and the more they live there, I think he starts to realize that, um, you know, he's not living in a good. He could be as altruistic as he wants to be, um, but. You know when it comes down to it, if you're living in a crappy neighborhood and you're getting mugged all the time, you're living in a crappy neighborhood and you're getting <laughs> mugged all the time <laughs> <Right now. laughs> and yeah that that bit where he gets where you know they think somebody's breaking in and you know Peggy startles him and then he gets stabbed, and then he breaks up with her on the way to the hospital in the back <laughs> of the ambulance it was just so ridiculous
1: now what now what was peggy's weapon it was it was a knife on a stick was that it yeah kitchen
2: knife taped to the end of a broom handle <laughs>
0: yeah
2: in a very vietnam uh recalling scene it, it was it was so good i mean this this season i mean not that mad men is ever at a you know a loss for comedy but this season had some really good comedy the whole um speed episode where basically everyone gets put on speed by a doctor uh, quote-unquote doctor. I mean, I guess he was a real doctor. That was a thing people did back then um, as dumb as it was. But Ken Cosgrove getting shot in the face uh, Ken Cosgrove tap dancing. Oh. All, all these things are both horrible and
0: hilarious at the same time. Oh, so good. Yeah, and the bit with him tap dancing, he what he broke his foot he was tap dancing with a broken foot and he'd gotten beat up, or like his face was all beat up. It was before he got shot. I thought
2: it was, Yeah, it was from the car accident that he was all right.
0: Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was awesome. Uh, poor Ken Cosgrove. Like the the whole Chevy thing. He just really just just took a beating with that whole deal. Oh, um,
2: I- I've got to wonder how Chevy, the modern company, feels about how they've been portrayed in season six. Yeah, because. Well, I would not say it's the whole company has been portrayed in a, in, as a, in an ill light. Certainly, some of them have been, and uh, in a hilarious way. But yeah, I, I do wonder about that.
1: Yeah, and 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 I wonder just from a uh, PR perspective, like how do you go about Chevy? You know, not suing the show or not saying no to that. Um,
2: uh, my assumption is they have the permission and they make sure that they're portraying, you know, Chevy of 1960, not Chevy of today. Yeah. It's a very different company, et cetera and so forth. They probably have, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure they have uh, Chevy commercials during the show, yeah. probably with Mad Men, um, madmen characters or Mad Men actors and actresses doing voiceover, and so they probably offset it that way, give them a reduced rate on the on the commercials.
0: Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, can we make it look uh, terrible Slattery... and we'll and we'll, uh, and we'll give you a break on the on advertising how's that sound
0: yeah yeah i think john slattery doesn't he do the vo for lincoln
2: I, and is that a chevy owned company yeah
0: yeah that's a gm that's a gm brand oh no that's ford lincoln yeah. is ford i'm sorry
2: yeah i don't know but uh or maybe if it's based on you know well known facts about chevy from that time period maybe they can get away with it because it's based on fact um who knows
1: yeah i mean for all we know they could be basing that on a on a book for by a Chevy executive or something from that time period.
2: And I would not put the pat, put that past them because they do that kind of stuff a lot. Base, base the character stories on very real things that did happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I say that, you know, you brought it up a minute ago, Jordan is people that I think after season five were like, okay, I'm out, I'm done. I've had, you know, it just, it's not going anywhere. It was a little less interesting. Um, You know, things weren't really happening. I think if you go back to season six, I think you're going to have a very different opinion um, because I think, I think there's a lot going on in season six. Um, oh, an absolute ton. Yeah. And well, with, with, with season five, w- one of the main
1: drawbacks was that we had a, we had a happy dawn, you know, in a happy marriage and trying to make things work. And, and um, you know, that's not drama. That's, kind of boring (laughs) you you want there to be some, some train wrecks and stuff and you know you get plenty of train wrecks in season six that just you know your jaw just drops open about like he did what and why is he doing that and and that's the don draper we love to watch
0: yeah and it's funny because it seemed like for a while there his relationship with his kids was starting to improve. I mean, the fact that he went to the camp to visit his son. Now, how much of that was he went to get to to see Betty and how much of it was to spend time with Bobby? Um, you know, who knows? But it seemed like he was starting to have a better relationship with um, with Sally. Um, and then that whole thing just goes completely sideways. I mean, we we see, I think we see Sally starting to become much more like Dawn and, and it's something we, I think we kind of knew all along that she's becoming, you know, she's much more of a free spirit. She's much more question authority. She's much more wanting to do her own thing. Um, much more finding ways to manipulate situations to where she comes out on top. Um, And we definitely saw that, like, with the boarding school.
1: Yeah, at, at the boarding school, I felt that she was just channeling uh, her mother there. You know, it's just getting the, these guys to fight over her and kind of just, you know, she gets that smile on her face when when things go a little out of control because she's the center of attention. And I guess at that age, that's kind of important. But, uh, she... but, but
2: you're absolutely right, though. She is embodying the worst character traits of both of her parents in many ways yes. throughout the season as as she enters the, the first generation of teenagers.
0: Yeah. Well, and then it's funny because then something horrible happens. Like, to me, my stomach almost turned when I saw. And not so much what happened was the aftermath. Um, you know, we find out that Sally's able to kind of manipulate the doorman to give him the keys. Uh, we find out that her friend had written a letter to the Rosen's oldest son, who uh, who Sally kind of has, has a crush on, uh, and she's freaked out by that. She goes back up to to take the letter back, and she finds Don and Sylvia literally in the middle of of getting it on. In and, the delicto as <laughs> they Yeah, say. exactly. And she's, like, stopped dead on her tracks, speechless, and runs. And, of course... Sylvia starts freaking out because they they had pretty much stopped. Like she had she had told him, you know, enough, you know, no more. They kind of had their last of it. Um but Don basically pulled every hat out of his trick and sold his soul <laughs> to do a favor to to get their son from going to Vietnam. And so Sylvia basically showed her appreciation um and things were heating back up again. And the image of Don, you know, putting his clothes back on running down the hall and, you know, trying to find Sally and, you know, just he becomes, you know, this drunken mess. And the way that episode ended with him just, you know, just a a complete and utter train wreck mess, um, just going into his room and shutting the door. And that's, you know, no end music, no nothing. I mean, that was just a silent ending to that episode. And you were just like, I'm, I, my jaw was open just, just at the end of that episode.
2: Well, the look of nausea on John Hamm's face for that entire last sequence of scenes was amazing. Some of the best acting. I mean, he, he, he's at no loss for great moments of acting in the show or in general, but that in particular, you know, he just looked like he was going to be sick for 15 minutes straight on screen. And man, everything between him, his reaction, Sylvia's reaction, Sally's reaction, um, Megan not really following what was going on, not because she was dumb, just because it was she was not privy to it. Um, that whole scene with Dr. Rosen and his son showing up, I mean, it was just the the powder keg in that room was so primed to explode right there, and did.
1: And it's like, how low can, can Don fall? You know, I mean, here he is trying to do everything to get back with this woman just one more time, and it just... You know, that's a low point, and yet it blows up even to a point that you can't even imagine it will. And... You know he's he's not just destroying his life; he's destroying his daughter's life. He's destroying this woman's life, just to get what he wants, which is satisfaction.
2: And Sally was the last person who idolized him, and now that's just out the window. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it kind of starts the downward spiral. I mean that that is kind of like the key moment in this um, in this season that things really just kind of finally go unhinged. Uh, and you know we find out that Don's whole you know, absenteeism and just kind of lackluster attitude is not going unnoticed from the rest of the firm. One of the things we find in this episode that we haven't really seen too much of over the last couple is we start to get a little more of Don's uh, childhood fleshed out. And, you know, they really go into the fact that um, him and his mother show up at, at a brothel. His
2: stepmother, to be clear. His mother yes, yes. also
0: right. a prostitute and dead. So. R- right. Um, that he's basically raised in this in this brothel, um, and he's very timid and shy, and and one of the prostitutes in the in the brothel kind of, I, I hate to say, take a liking to him, but it's more like she, she took a shine to him, like she, she yeah, saw, yeah,
1: you know, it was a good kid, and he know, was that, the that,
2: Peggy to her Don, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And, yeah, and the prostitute really only knows one way to show appreciation, and that's just happens to be you know the the one way that
0: you know affects Don and then we see you know that the of course the the guy that that runs the place is just this horrible like it, in it, he was related it wasn't he related to I want to
2: say he was always called his uncle whether it's technically his uncle or not I cannot remember
0: right right but you know he's this overbearing horrible person and you know it, it, it just you know, we start to get that out and and so this meeting comes up with Hershey Um, and Don is called in to kind of do his thing and dazzle the client. And they kind of thought it was, again, another one of these Chevy situations. They weren't really going to get it, but they were going to give their best shot at it. And he tells this great story and then he kind of has just this moment of clarity (laughs) and basically says, yeah, that basically none of that was true. I was, you know, raised in a, in a brothel and, you know, if I did things, I would get a little bit of, what do he say, he got a little bit of money.
2: I think he would pick the pockets of the, of the Johns while they were preoccupied.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it, as a reward, the prostitutes would sometimes give him a chocolate bar, and that was, like, the greatest thing ever. And everybody just was, like, speechless and didn't know what was going on. And, and that was pretty much the moment that the firm decided, yeah, Don needs to go, if not permanently, then at least for a considerable amount of time. Uh, And he's basically let go.
2: Well, they do the same thing to him that they did to Freddie Rumson years ago, and Freddie never came back.
0: Right. So we're left with the episode where I think Don, I think he's kind of come to the understanding that his his and Megan's relationship is through because he's just not capable of of being that person. Um, Initially, to get away from it all, he was going to line them up to move out to California and basically start his own thing. Um, And then because Peggy is madly in love with Ted Shaw. He knows that that can't happen. That's not good. Ted kind of has this moment of clarity after sleeping with Peggy that he's not going to leave his wife and his kids, and he's got to find a way out. So Don pretty much jumps on the grenade, allows Ted to go to California. Megan's already quit her job at the soap opera, who she's she's this um, up-and-coming soap opera star at this point, um, to go make this life out in Hollywood. And Don basically says, yeah, we're not going. So I think at that point he realizes, A, she's either going to go out to California and do her own thing without him and try and make a go at it because she's already started to make connections. Um, but Don knows that it's it's over between them. And he seems to latch on to his kids because um, Sally at this point has been kicked out of school um, and, and takes them basically to where he started. He takes them back to this brothel and says, this is where I was raised. A- and that's kind of how the season ends. Uh and so, again, it kind of leaves you, like, season five left you wondering, okay, is Don going to go back to the man he was? Season six, at least for me, left me as, is this the turning point in Don Draper's life where he decides that advertising is not his thing, he wants to be a better person, he's going to start focusing and being true to himself? um, Or is this just another... Uh, phase that he's going through and he kind of gets it together and just goes back to being the Don that we saw at the beginning of season one
1: well yeah Don doesn't even know who he is Don Draper isn't even Don Draper he's a creation you know I don't think John Hamm's character whatever you want to call him knows who he really is but that final scene where they're standing in front of the the old brothel it's almost like a rebirth it's almost like I'm going to try this again and try to get it right. You know, here's where my life essentially started. And I just, I have to make this work. But
2: will he be able to, and will he be able to repair his relationship with Sally? I mean, I think in those last few seconds, that look from her to him and and vice versa could signal an understanding, could signal... Something, but it'll it'll only time will tell as we move into the final season of Mad Men with uh, season seven.
0: I, I, I have one more thing to say. I know I know we're kind of running along on on Mad Men, which is funny because I I didn't think that's how this would turn out. But <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Pete Campbell and there's an episode in season six where it kind of comes to a head with 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 uh, Jaguar and Joan's relationship with the with the head guy at Jaguar. And Don is so incensed that this even happened to begin with that when Jaguar starts kind of flexing its muscles a little bit, Don basically tells him to go to hell. And a lot of that was based on the fact that he feels like the firm basically went down the tubes when they got Jaguar. He didn't like that Joan had to humiliate herself. And it, it's a little bit two-faced because this is a man that thinks nothing of taking advantage of women um, and you know how that affects his wife and his kids and everything, and 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 the relationship for those around him. But this particular incident really bothered him. And then you have Pete Campbell, who views Don as this immoral, you know, lothario and somebody that to be despised. Uh, that he gets ahead for being the way he does, and and Pete tries to prove that he is not that person. Um, and we find out in that episode that they take one of the clients to to a brothel in in New York, and as he's leaving he comes across his father-in-law um which that then sends kind of a spiral uh, downward that the father-in-law basically has uh uh cuts off their their relationship with with the firm because of Pete's actions um and to me i i that's one of my it was one of my favorite episodes in the series because it just really accentuated the fact that you know Don Don's hypocrisy and Pete's hypocrisy and they're both um in some ways, the same person like like Don knows he's immoral and tries to be moral on some things. Pete thinks he's completely moral, but acts very immorally. Um, and I just I just thought that was an awesome mirroring of those two characters and, and the way that panned out.
2: Oh, absolutely. And Pete's storyline in general, this season, I thought was fantastic. He's still as much as a as much of a, an oath as ever, but continues to be very entertaining. And his storyline went some very unexpected places i thought
0: yes
1: yes very yeah. unexpected and and kind of at the end of the uh at at the end of the season like in a very light kind of way he's kind of washed up too i mean he he oh, yeah. he's going to have to go to california because there's just nothing left for him in new york and he loves new york
2: yeah he's he's all about that city well uh, we've hinted at it a few times but for one last thing in mad men before we jump over to breaking bad Let's talk about the Bob Benson in the room. So at the beginning of season six, we're introduced to this new character named Bob Benson. We know just about nothing about him, except he always seems to be there, even when he's not wanted. He's always got a giant smile on his face. He's always got two cups of coffee, one for him and one for anybody he can give it to. He seems to be he seems kiss to be ass. a go getter. Uh, uh, yeah, a bit of a kiss ass. He's always, you know, making nice with the people who can you know, bring him ahead in life And it's one of those things where the whole season, the question is, who is this guy? What is his deal? Some people speculating that he's a serial killer. Some people speculating (laughs) that he's Don's illegitimate son. Some people (laughs) speculating he's just a sociopath of some type. Turns out in a scene with Pete, uh, Bob Benson is gay. Bob Benson is Matt Weiner's way to re-examine the issue of homosexuality in the 60s in uh, New York City. And I absolutely love this character through and through uh, the whole season. (laughs) Um excellently acted by James Wolk uh who even looks kind of like Don Draper and we even find out he's a bit of a Don Draper himself in that in in that Don Draper is actually Dick Whitman and Don Draper is a, a personality he assumes is a is a personage he assumes Bob Benson is you know from West Virginia and he's you know made up his entire resume he's basically lying his way through life and Pete is faced with a uh romantic affections that he is not interested in but also with another don draper situation if you remember back in i think it was season two or three when pete found out about don pete almost screwed the pooch by trying to turn don in and say this isn't even really who he is we should turn him over to the cops and that bit him in the in the ass but in this situation we finally got to see pete learn from his mistakes which is something that for all the ills of the character he doesn't occasionally actually learn from his <laughs> mistakes and he's one of the few people on the show who does but uh, the whole thing just with him and and Bob and Manolo and Pete's mother, um, some great comedy in there, some very tense scenes between Pete and Bob.
1: Some
0: darkness. Uh, true like. colors
2: really come out. <laughs> um, I-, I loved it, though. I- it was very interesting to me.
0: I stayed confused about Bob Benson because I didn't quite get the whole thing with Joan. And then I was like, well, was he just positioning himself with Joan So he could get information on Pete to find an angle or was he just getting with Joan because she knows everything going on in the office and that was a good way to do it. Was he just the gay friend? But, but, you know, obviously Bob, much like Don not wanting himself to come out, uh, Bob didn't really want anybody to realize, you know, that he's obviously he's, he's gay. So kind of played it up with Roger that, you know, he Roger got very jealous of him and Roger was completely clueless to the fact that, that, you know that he was gay and just kind of took it as a rival which i think helped build the story the cover story for bob benson
1: oh absolutely yeah can can uh, some clarification so so do you think that joan was aware that he was gay the whole time it's hard to say i mean i think
2: of all the characters on the show she would probably be the most okay with it she seems the most liberal the most uh sure of herself of all the characters but i wouldn't say she knew for sure although she did hint a few times that there was nothing going on between the two of them and that he wasn't interested. Um, And knowing Joan, I have a feeling that even if he didn't outright tell her, she could probably tell. Yeah. But I don't know if it was definitely on the table.
0: I think, you know, what helped confuse it is the whole bit with Manolo and and his mother. (laughs) Manolo. (laughs) So here's what I thought was happening, too, that Manolo was getting close to the mother and, you know, she's kind of loopy to begin with. So he could basically marry her and then throw her off the boat and then be the beneficiary to all of you know to any of her her money right and that it was a scheme between bob and manolo like this whole thing with him going to work at the firm and like this was just like a scheme like there was no intention of him try, trying to become a member of this firm he was just looking an angle so they could get rich quick and then him and manolo would just take off uh onto the next con but then at the end it was like it was Kind of clear that a Manolo's on the run. The cops want to want to talk to him, and he's not getting any of the money. Like it, just the whole thing was just really almost like very comic, like black comedy. You know, where it was it was funny, but not intentionally. You know, you know, funny in a dark way.
2: Well, even just in the way his mother died. I mean, Pete's dad dies in a plane crash. Yes. and his mother dies in a boat accident. <laughs> I mean, does that set you up for Pete dying in a space shuttle explosion <laughs> or something? Yeah. He's gonna be on the Challenger in in a flash forward. Or he's gonna be on
1: Apollo yeah. thirteen, or you know something.
2: <laughs> or, or just a car crash. Make it or a bicycle accident. Maybe it, even unicycle. No, it Pete, would
1: probably hard. be a car crash because you know he just you know he can't drive or he can't drive stick at least.
2: <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Because there's that whole thing of him getting his license uh, in season five. Yeah. In, now we we finished season six. Season seven's the last one. They started in 1960 do you see the show ending with the ball dropping in 1970? Do you see them actually going past that to maybe a flash forward, Sally Draper in a psychiatrist chair telling this whole story (laughs) or does it, I mean, I I could see it ending either way, but I think the money's strong money is probably on it ending with somebody toasting to the year 1970 to the future, the ball drops and then the series is over.
0: Yeah. I, I would love if they did some sort of like ending text to say, you know, Don Draper died in, you know, 1997 or you know what you know whatever you know so and so lived to be blah 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 but somehow I don't think that's going to happen somehow I think this is going to have an ending more like you're saying uh, Jordan where we're not going to get closure on who these characters ultimately become you know either as, as the children as adults or um you know the adults as older you know current you know or, you know how they were when they died or what they ended up doing um it almost seems like this this life is who they are, and this is what they will be, and this is how it's it's going to be. But um, yeah,
2: I don't really see the Animal House cros- uh, closing credits. Yeah, the series. yeah.
1: I I mean I I and I think the intro to the show gives it all away. I think it's going to end with Don dying somehow, whether that's as a as an old man or or as a you know as in 1970 with him alone in a. Uh, you know, in a, in a hotel room, I you know, but I think it it is going to be him dying. I think you know this whole story is Don's story,
0: and it's his journey. And and he sleeps with the wrong woman's husband. Yeah, or what <laughs> wrong wrong window. wrong? Yeah, wrong wrong woman's husband. He sleeps with the wrong woman's <laughs> wife. Wrong wrong man's wife. I'll get or it. Wrong woman's right. wife. I never
2: know. It's Don Draper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, I I could absolutely
2: see that. Well, for anyone who wants to check out Breaking Bad, and we strongly recommend you do, seasons one through five are available on Netflix Instant. um, And you can, of course, buy the DVDs. They're wonderful. Lots of great special features, commentaries, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Another show that's available on Netflix Instant, but in this case, all of it, all four and a half seasons that have thus been released, Breaking Bad, my favorite drama on television.
1: Yes, mine too. Can't
0: disagree.
2: Now, when we left Breaking Bad uh, two years ago with episode 21, season three had wrapped up and I made the comment that season three of Breaking Bad was my favorite season of television ever. Do I still stand by that? Well, kind of in that season four ties it for me now (laughs) and season five could tie it as well. I think in the direction it's going, assuming the last eight episodes are just as strong. Um, I could have a three way tie between seasons three, four, and five of Breaking Bad as my favorite season of television ever. And that's, that's pretty amazing considering I did not fall in love with the show until, you know, partway through season two. I, if it wasn't for the fact that I had the DVD sitting there, I don't know that I would have stuck with it. I just had a hard time getting into the first season or so, but, uh, man, I love Breaking Bad. I, Frank, what's your introduction to Breaking Bad? How did you get into the show? Have you been watching since the beginning or DVDs or what?
1: Let's see. I got into it probably midway through season three because I had heard how great it was. And, you know, the premise about a chemistry teacher selling meth, it sounded funny. Like, I thought it was supposed to be a comedy at first, but I finally... Which
2: it did have black comedic elements in much of the first season yeah sure. I,
1: and i was thinking i was thinking you know not knowing anything about the show that it was like this you know kind of slapsticky, like whoa. of course it's nothing like that at all um i started watching part of season three and just kind of fell in love with it after about four or five episodes and i continued watching it up until the end and then i went back and i watched season one and two and i've been hooked ever since just Crazy characters, crazy situations that somehow, even though they shouldn't, they they always manage to get out of it in a way that is satisfying.
2: Yeah, that's probably the most amazing thing. Like, any show can get its characters out of a sticky situation, but to do it well and to do it consistently well to the point where you always buy it, that's pretty amazing, particularly when you consider the haphazard situations that... (laughs) that uh, Walter White and Jesse have gotten themselves into and their compatriots over the last four and a half seasons. Uh, Russ, I don't remember if you said in episode 21 how you got into Breaking, breaking Bad at the beginning. Um, was it from me and your dad telling you you had to watch it, or was that Mad Men, I guess?
0: That was Mad Men. My dad was a big uh, proponent of Mad Men. Breaking Bad was just one of those things where it just finally had enough momentum that I just was like, I have to watch it. Um, I, I I don't know what kind of put it over the top. Maybe I, I started watching Mad Men first, so maybe it was just you know knowing the quality of AMC TV and just getting more into cable television shows to begin with. You know, Sons of Anarchy and Justified and Mad Men. You know, just just seeing the quality of that of that kind of programming on uh you know on the you know not the big four networks.
2: Right, right. So when we last left. Um, I almost said justified. So when we last left Breaking Bad, we had just finished up season three. um, And now we have season four in completion. And half of season five is aired. The uh, second half of season five, which will be another eight episodes, starts airing uh, this coming Sunday. And this episode should be up by then, unless something catastrophic happens. So we definitely recommend, before we even talk about it, even if you've never seen a second of the show... DVR the episodes to start Sunday. You can watch <laughs> all of it on Netflix. It will not take you that long. I actually watched all of season one except for the pilot because I'd seen that recently and all of season five so far over the last two and a half days and they hold up really well. I got to say this is the first time I've gone back to season one since I first saw it and I did not love it the first time I saw it. I kind of It took me, like I, like I said before, kind of until halfway through season two before I really fell in love with the show. But going back to that first season... It's just as good, man. It's it's just more that I have an affinity for the characters, I think, now that really had me fall in love with the show. I wasn't falling in love with the plotting or the writing or anything like that, even though they're spectacular. It was taking the time to fall in love with the characters that really had everything click for me. And now it is my favorite drama on television, hands down.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. A funny story. My wife and I have been looking for another TV show to watch. I had been totally caught up, and about a month, maybe six weeks ago, I was like, we need to sit and watch Breaking Bad. And we finally got to that point where there's not really much else that she was really interested in watching. I finally, there was another show that we finished up, uh, so I finally got her to sit down and watch it. And we tore through seasons one through <laughs> you know, five and a half over a three- to four-week period. And it's funny, because I've, t- I've told Jordan this story, but we got to season five, episode six, and my wife, after the episode was over, She's like, okay, that's it. I'm done. And she gets up and walks out of the room because she had told me at, at one point. Uh, this will be full spoiler, but there's there's a moment in season five where Jesse's involved with this girl and his and her kid, and Walter basically manipulates him into breaking up with her and cutting her loose. And she was like, if he does that, I'm not watching. You know, because she really likes Jesse, and that he's kind of this. You know, he never kind of gets a break. And it took her, like, three or four days to kind of calm down enough to watch the last two episodes and be ready for the rest of it. And it, it just, it was funny because, not to get too behind the behind the curtain here, but she kind of, she, she recently had a very stressful job. She left, um, and a lot of the stress, other than the actual day-to-day duties, were the people she worked for. And there are a couple of people she worked for that were very much the same way, very manipulative get people to do things by manipulating them and never admitting to doing anything wrong and always coming out on top. And I think it just, like, hit a little too close to home. But that's how much the character of Walter White, you know, again, going from season one to the end of uh, this half of season five, changes so much that it had such such a negative impact on her. She really just, like... Despises him, like just cannot stand him as a as a character, as a human being, and and just like personifying, you know, what he is. Uh, and I just thought that was really just fascinating that that she had that that much of an emotional reaction to this fictional TV character.
2: Well, I, I mean, I I understand it. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I I certainly understand it. I know lots of people, including my good friend Pierce, who I do Jersey Shore with. You know, he won't even get into the show just because he can't stand. The, the the darkness of it and the 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 sense that nothing ends is going to end well for any of these characters and that all the characters are evil people, which for the most part is is mostly true. But he, he, sh- your wife is not alone by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination. I mean, I give her props for at least watching the show, even if she had that feeling, because um, I know some people who simply won't. And, you know, more power to them. They don't need to. It's I love it. And I'm glad I've gotten five seasons of it. But um, it's it's certainly not a show for everybody. Now, when we had left season three, we had that last shot of the gun being pointed at Gail Bedecker, uh, Jesse pointing the gun, and then the camera swings around in a way that made it unclear whether or not he had shot Gail, although the the creator of the show um, and the showrunner, Vince Gilligan, has made it clear that it was mostly a mistake. He did not intend the camera shift to make it ambiguous. He always intended it to be clear that Jesse shot Gail to save uh to save himself and Walt from Gus. but So that's where we left the show, was uh, was Gus about to kill Walt, Walt has J- Jesse kill Gale instead, and they are, at least for the moment, safe. Although, not by a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because that episode even starts with, like we see the bullet hole through the teapot, and it's not clear in the first couple minutes whether Gale is dead or not.
2: Right. Well, they kind of used that to their advantage once they saw that people sure. did not read it
0: clearly in one way or the other. And that was that was a huge cliffhanger. Like, the other seasons didn't really have this massive cliffhanger like that, and and really haven't had one since. You know, season four didn't really end with this massive cliffhanger. I guess this first half of season five, sort of a cliffhanger, but more like a revelation, I, w- I would say.
2: Right, and season four didn't end with a cliffhanger because they were not sure when they were writing it whether or not it would be the last episode of the series or whether AMC would give them another season um, right. or kind of weird double season thing that they actually got. So it was intended to work as a series finale, and I think it certainly does. I mean, it does, does it clear up all the loose ends? No. But if the show had ended at the end of Season 4, I would have been totally thrilled with that because it was an amazing episode and an amazing ending to the show.
1: The way that Season 4 ends, for me, it is, it is a nothing shot, but it means everything. Just showing that, that potted plant, that tells you everything you need to know about Walter.
2: Well, yeah, well, those last couple episodes of season four were where Walt really took the turn from misguided guy who kind of rode that line between good and bad, good guy maybe, but doing terrible things to the point where he really turned into a supervillain.
1: It, it's just, you know, because I had my doubts the whole time as to whether what really happened to that kid, whether he was poisoned. I mean, was it really ricin? Did Walter do it? How he, could he have done it and stuff? And while those those questions aren't addressed you know, by showing you that potted plant, that tells you everything. Well, right, and it was interesting because narratively, the show always
2: takes you step by step and shows you every thing that these characters do. Particularly Walt, like sometimes other characters, they will come out of out of nowhere and do something, but because it's you know the science background show. It always shows you Walt step-by-step, here's the plan, here's what he's going to do, here's how he's going to do it, and this was the first time that they broke away from that and had him doing things on the sidelines without the camera and the audience being privy to it, and it really, I mean, that really helped emphasize the switch, A, of giving you this mystery of did he really do it or not, but also at that moment when he stops being the protagonist, or at least when he stops being the hero of the show and becomes the villain, that's the moment when you step back from seeing inside of his head and stop that connection by having him do these things off camera, like poison Brock and uh, set up the bomb to kill Gus, um, and all and all these crazy things that he's done since then.
1: Which I, I know I'm jumping ahead here, but when Gus did uh, did finally eat it and he walks out of that r- that room that's blown up, what was your first reaction?
2: No way! The guy really is a Terminator.
1: <laughs> I I can remember getting <laughs> angry at the t- at the show until they did the camera move that I was just yeah
0: like, yeah
1: what I I I was like viscerally angry and then once they they had the payoff of half of his fl- face is blown off then it was like oh and I just felt like I I had just been. I don't know what the word gift isn't the right word, but it was just like, perfect.
0: That was perfect.
2: You had the air punched out of your lungs and then punched back in a moment later. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that those effects, of course, for Walking Dead TV folks, it was done by Greg Nicotero. Yeah,
2: and his company and B effects and some of the best effects I think the show's ever done. Not that they really have a call to do them very often, but they were amazing. And it was cool because it was a callback to season two with the whole burned teddy bear in the uh, in the <laughs> yep. pool that came from the plane. It, yeah. You can look at those pictures side by side and it's the same oh parts of the gosh. face right. that are missing on the bear are in missing on Gus. Yeah, and the eye and everything. Very nice. And just that, that, that coda of him you know, adjusting his tie before he dies yep. was spot on perfect to the character. Is it stretching the bounds of believability slightly? Sure, but as a character moment and as a capper to his story... <laughs> I thought that was perfect. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and an awesome ending for uh, Hector Salamanca as well. Yeah. I mean, the guy can act so much with just his eyes and nostrils. And the guy is not paralyzed. I mean, he was acting as the, in that manner. He was not actually paralyzed as a, as a human being. But what he was able to do with just the limited acting tools that were available to him in that role was spellbounding
0: it was the mouth it was almost like they shot him up with novocaine or something because he <laughs> like he had the droop down perfect i mean you know you really believe that this is a dude that had a stroke in a wheelchair i mean it was yeah yeah just you, big props to him the other thing we had i think it was season 4 and 5 was we had an episode each directed by ryan johnson who some of you may know from from of course the movie looper and um What was the other movie he did with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt? Brick. Brick. Yes.
2: I did not realize he directed episodes of Breaking Bad. I need to go back and rewatch them now and like breathe that in.
0: He directed the one. What was it called? Fly. Mm.
2: Oh, that's a great episode.
0: Yeah, the one. The whole episode, and this is awesome. Season four episode is is Jesse and Walt in the lab after they've they've completely sterilized it, and there's a fly in the lab, and they spend the whole episode trying to kill this fly.
2: And people hated this episode when it aired. Or at least a vocal minority of people hated this episode, but I loved it.
1: That episode, I I often hear cited, at least now, maybe because of retrospect, one of their favorites. That episode always gets cited as like, wow. That oh, absolutely. But at crazy. the time,
2: it was just worst episode ever. Nothing happened. So slow. And it was just this pressure cooker of a bottle episode at any moment, Walt was going to spill the beans about Jane and her death and his part in it, and I was on the edge of my seat for it. Even though it was this weird bottle episode, it was so good.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Ryan Ryan Johnson directed Fly, and then the episode 51. Uh, Another from, excellent episode. Yeah, from season five. And then uh, he is going to be directing an upcoming episode for this last half of the season called Ozymandias, which is... Uh, Ooh. Very close to the end. So episode 16 will be the last. This will be uh third from 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 the end. So Now,
2: have you two seen the Breaking Bad Ozymandias trailer? I yes. have not. Okay, Frank, so to uh to set you up for it, it's just footage of Albuquerque, you know, in the, shot in the beautiful way that Breaking Bad always does it with Bryan Cranston Walter White reading the Shelley poem. I believe it's called Ozymandias. And then it ends on a shot of Heisenberg's hat in the dust when they're talking yeah. about the statue crumbling in, uh, in in Cairo, I believe, or whatever the statue was in the poem uh, of of Ozymandias, Ramses the Second. And um, oh, it's such a good trailer.
0: It all comes back to Watchmen. Yep, <laughs> long time, long time, Legion of Dudes uh, listeners will totally get that that joke.
2: If, if Rorschach shows up in the finale, I don't know if, whether to cheer or be like you've jumped the shark, but uh, yeah. It'd be interesting,
1: or you know, it happened. Was it thirty-four minutes ago? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, if he if he pulls out a line like that, Walter White, or even Hank, I could see <laughs> Hank maybe pulling that line, although he wouldn't get the reference. But uh, oh, that'd be amazing. So season season four is Walt and Jesse versus Gus, mostly just yeah. trying to stay alive, trying to find a way to stop him. Now, granted, they break up a few times in terms of business and friendship. Um, and try to get back to each other. We have the rise of Mike from this character who showed up a few times in season three and then had that one really awesome James Bond sequence in season three where he broke into Chang's warehouse. Yeah. But through season four and and then five, you really see the full Mike um, as, as a character, and what an awesome character they had in Mike Ermintrout.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we get to learn his last name.
2: Yeah, Trout. I can't spell it, but I know it
1: now. Mike is the Roger of Breaking Bad characters. <laughs> yes.
2: Walter, I can see the situation ending in a lot of different ways, and not a single one of them involves Mila time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that character. Sit down, Walter.
2: And he, even, he even went out like a champ. I mean, spoilers. We already met, said we're going to be sto- spoilers, but when he dies, you know, just, you know, shut the F up and let me die in peace, Walter, <laughs> you know, is perfect.
0: Yeah. I was really saddened when Mike was killed off. I really, really liked Mike. Me um, too. Especially in season five, because he really, you know, his guys, and he's got to square up his guys, and, you know, visit them all in prison, and just kind of letting them know. The whole bit, In the, I know we're jumping ahead, we'll go back to season four, but at the beginning of season five, when they decide to do their own thing, and they have those three huge stacks of money, and he's like, this is for distribution, or this is for transport, this is to square up my guys. This is for you know, this. This is for that. And it's like the pile that's left between the three of them is like very small compared to what they started. And, and Jesse's like, whatever, you know, fine, I, I don't care. You know, he's he's even willing to just like have Walter give up his share of squaring up Mike's guys, <laughs> just just because like he he totally doesn't care about the money. I mean. Jesse knows he's he has and will have more money than he'll ever need or could spend. And Walt, at this point, is just is just off the rails. But but that is like an awesome Mike scene when he just oh uh, it just it just uh, he he stole every scene he was in in season five. And I was really I I I get it from a story perspective why they had why he had to go. But really, I was really bummed. Yeah, it's a
2: shame to see the character go. But like you said, narratively it had to happen. Pairing the story down to its key components for these last eight episodes is, I think, going to be a major thing for the show as we head into the end. Because, you know, Walt needs to have as few options as possible as his world crumbles around him, presumably.
0: <laughs> to, to go back to season four, one of the, the great arcs of that season, I thought, other than w- Walter kind of really falling apart. Because he was completely, you know, he ends up completely on the outs with Gus. Uh, and things things go go pretty bad there
2: he He has a moment of brief insanity, even in the crawl space,
0: yeah, but but the rise of Jesse, Mike taking Jesse under his wing and that whole bit, you know, where he kind of quote unquote saves Mike's life. But the bit when they take him to Mexico, and they go in that meth lab, and there's all these crazy smart scientists that are going to cook this meth in this in this huge setup. and the the chemist is like, I forget what he was wanting, some some form of acid or something like that that they thought they were just manufactured from scratch and Jesse doesn't know how, you know, he only knows how to cook with the stuff he that that Walter showed him. And that bit when he finally just kind of grows a pair and bitches everybody out in that thing even though they've, you know, they'll basically not think twice about shooting him in the head and burying him out back, but he, the the way he just asserts himself and gets in everybody's face, th- that scene was awesome.
2: Oh, yeah. Aaron Paul throughout the series has emerged as, you know, a, a pinch hitter, as a, uh, a secret weapon when they need him to do something. I The scene I think about, just because I saw it the other day, is in season five, when him and Walt are searching his apartment for the rice and cigarette and his reaction when Walt finds, quote unquote, finds the cigarette in the uh, in the Roomba and then leaves the room. His reaction again, it goes back to John Hamm's reaction of nausea in uh, in season six of Mad Men. How red his face gets, the look of relief, of terror, of every emotion under the sun that comes across his face in the span of like 20 seconds is amazing.
1: And, and, uh, yeah. Jesse, he's really been, he's actually been the smart one for season five. I mean, he's, he's always kind of has the right idea. I mean, he came up with the whole magnet idea, or at least the, he came up with the straw idea for the train. Yeah. I mean, he, he was actually the, the, in a lot of ways the voice of reason for
0: season 5 although
2: not yeah. as much as Mike would have liked yeah
0: yeah <laughs> yeah again to you know again another key moment in season 4 it, it let me back up a little bit in listening back to to our previous episode one of the questions i asked on that was do we think that Jesse and Walt either have a friendship or will have a friendship and, and i think back then we thought that it could it could possibly happen and looking at where we're at at the, at this part of season five, I, me personally, I think the answer is no. I, I just, I really, I think they kind of come to terms with each other at different points, but I think they, you know, as we get into, especially into parts of season four, and then at the end of season four, they kind of have, when when they realize what's happened and that Walt didn't really betray him, they kind of get closer, um, and then at the beginning of season five, they're fairly close. But then they kind of hit that point where Jesse is just like, enough is enough. I'm done. I'm out. Uh, and, and so I don't see this ending with the two of them having any kind of great relationship if either one of them make it out alive at all.
2: Yeah, it's I, I don't see things going back to the best points of the relationship ever. I, I still wonder whether or not Jesse will find out about Brock and about jess uh, about jane or about any of that kind of stuff or whether walt ends up killing jesse or getting jesse killed to save his own skin but yeah that that relationship i don't see it ever coming back
1: and um yeah i mean right now just jess, jesse's really afraid of walt i mean walt has gone beyond what jesse could have imagined and i mean there was that one episode where walt comes over to his house and and Jesse has the gun, and there's that really tense conversation, and then finally Walt leaves, and, and Jesse, I, does he break down and cry? I seem to remember he broke down and cried. Well, yeah,
2: after Walt leaves the money on the door, on on the doorstop, uh, Jesse, that's when you first see he has the gun, because he pulls it out of the back of his pocket, or out of the back of his pants, and slides it across the ground and just you know, collapses against the wall sobbing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, he's just... He's just afraid. Walt has become something that terrifies
0: Jess. He's become Azimandius. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's fu- it's funny because you know, getting back to that friendship thing, towards the end of season four, what really kind of puts things on the on the outs is uh, Jesse's girlfriend. I, I can't remember Andrea. Her brother is the one that ended up shooting uh, Combo. In I guess it was season uh, season three. I guess that that happened.
2: Yeah, two or three, somewhere in there.
0: Yeah, so he, he's the one that shot Combo because basically Gus's street-level guys uh, used the kid to do their dirty work because obviously he'd just go to juvie and he wouldn't get as, in, as much in trouble as the adults. And when, when Jesse kind of has a, a come-to-Jesus meeting with everybody, uh, it's, it's understood that, um, that he would back off, that Jesse would back off, the guys would back off, and it turns out they end up killing the kid. And that sets Jesse off. Completely off. He knows if he does this that he's on the outs with Gus and that it's all over and things are going to go bad for both of them. Um, and as he's getting out of his car to actually do the deal, one of the one of the most jaw-dropping uh, uh, scenes of the whole series... Uh, and, and another good mo- use of special effects. Yeah, yeah. Probably more so than any other... I mean, there's been some stuff that happens that you're just like, holy cow. But this was so... Um, harsh and so final Um, we, we hear a car in the background and Walter comes up runs both of the drug dealers over gets out of his car pulls out a gun shoots the one drug dealer that's not dead in the head looks at Jesse and says run and that's how the episode ends and I was just like what the hell
2: did I just watch oh yeah I
1: mean, <laughs> one of many jaw dropping moments in the show. Yeah, it's just it just that almost comes out of nowhere that scene. Yeah. It's it's just like, ugh, wow.
0: And you get the tension because you know that something's gonna happen to to make it so Jesse doesn't do this. Or you know, something's gonna you know, you just know it because and and just they build that tension, build that tension, and for that to happen right in the last, you know, thirty seconds of the episode absolute genius Um, and that pretty much sets things on a very you know bad path for for both of them but the way again the way that they you know constantly get out of these crazy situations I I think Jordan you were saying like season four was written so that they you know wasn't carefully plotted out beginning to end. It was. Let's season them, three
2: specifically, but I believe season four was some of that as well.
0: Yeah, like put them in a bad situation and see how they get out. I mean, we, you know, the bit with the RV that was that was what early <laughs> season four. Mid, uh, no, that mid, was late season three. Late. Oh, that was season three. And and all of that
1: should not you know logically it, that whole RV scene. It's amazing. I remember watching that going, there's no way out of this situation. And yet, Walt finds a way out of that situation.
2: Well, specifically, Junkyard Joe finds a way out of that that situation, uh, which I love that character. (laughs) uh, When when he shows up, he's another one with great Roger-like lines and that. Yes. whenever, Whenever he's saying something, A, it's usually amazingly smart. And that's not to put down, like, people who work in junkyards, but just really smart in general stuff, yeah. but also hilarious.
0: So it, it's kind of, you know, the, the other thing with season four, the whole bit with, you know, the, the, you know, the, them cooking in the lab and well, I guess that was, that was at the end of, of season three even, but, um, but the way that whole ended, you know, they, they, they found a way to get Gus um, and that bit where Walt plants the bomb, you know, he gets, he gets Gus to show up at the hospital to talk to Jesse and he plants the bomb on the car And Gus is in the parking lot, and he's just walking around. And Walter's, you know, watching them go back to the car so he could, you know, he could detonate the bomb. And it's almost like Gus has this sixth sense. Um, He's a
2: Terminator.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we kind of get that about Gus. I mean, we got a lot of Gus backstory in season four. You know, we we had that flashback scene um, to, I guess, the mid late '80s in Mexico when, uh, you know, when they first got involved with the cartel and. Um, Gus's partner, I, I would say, I'd say it's pretty clear that Gus is gay. Um, yeah. And that, th- that the guy he started, um, um, Los, uh, Poyos Hermanos was, was his, his partner. Yes. Yeah.
2: I mean, they, they leave it purposefully uh, ambiguous, but it's pretty well intoned that, yes, that, that's his boyfriend.
0: Yeah. And, and it's funny because even when Hector Salamanca shows up pre stroke and he goes up to the, to to, um steven bauer who's like the 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 uh the drug kingpin and he's peeing in his pool um and one of the guys says something and he's like oh he won't uh you know i I don't think he'll mind and he looks at 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 gus's partner and says yeah i don't think he will either um you know so again it was like another jibe at 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 him about that so it was obviously you know what you know heavily heavily uh Intimated that 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 was going on,
2: but Gus got his revenge in the most spectacular way possible.
0: Yeah, that whole uh, red wedding uh, equivalent uh, to, to <laughs> yeah. Breaking Bad was uh, was pretty awesome,
2: and, uh, and and just shows you the lengths that Gus will go to to get what he needs done done.
1: And and that's a that's another example of like how can you get out of this? And yet there there is the solution, even though it's a crazy solution. Which was, um, had he taken a whole bunch of, uh, did he take the meds, the antidote before or after? I can't remember.
2: He took the antidote before and then purged after.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, then. But you yeah, know, that he whole, poisons
2: everyone else, including himself, but he was prepared for it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that whole bit where Mike tells Jesse, you know, because Jesse's like, oh, God, I'm going to be here permanently. And Mike tells him, kid, either all of us are leaving or none of us are leaving. <laughs> great line. Which is awesome. Yeah. But then, you know, when it all kind of goes down and Mike gets shot and they go to this um basically, you know, mash unit in the middle of the Mexican desert. Um, and, you know, Jesse's like looks in the cabinet and there's, you know, Gus's blood, blood type. There's Mike's blood type. There's Jesse's blood type. Like he planned for everything. You know, he had this whole thing set up, you know, knowing that he was going to, you know, God knows what was going to happen to any one of them. Um, and, and that was kind of a cool scene, too.
2: Oh, yeah. And the first time we saw Mike's last name because it was written on the blood (laughs) 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 bank or under it on on the shelf. Um, Also, season four, uh, before we move into the finale in season five, had the rise of Anna Gunn as a complicit part of Walt's, uh, Walt's empire in a move that took her from sometimes annoying shrew, even though she was absolutely right in what she was doing, except for the affair with Ted to an equally awesome member of the cast I would say not that she wasn't pulling her own weight before but her turn as a complicit member of the empire I thought was really interesting story wise and has led to great yeah. stuff in season 5 so far
0: yeah and then you know this whole thing you know her relationship with Ted and what she did to cook the books you know plays a huge part of it because when Walter when when it kind of hits the fan for Walter and he realizes that he's got to take all the money, pay this guy to give them new identities, and basically just go set up and live someplace else. Uh, he goes up back under the house and realizes all the money's gone because Skyler gave it to Ted to pay off the IRS, which he chose to do none of the above, which set up an awesome uh, move uh, towards the end of, I guess the end of season four uh, with uh, Ted's character.
1: You know, I, I was a little sad that they that they kind of telegraphed what was going to happen to Ted. Him yeah. falling down and breaking his neck um, in that scene. I kind of wish they hadn't telegraphed at that and that he just tripped over the carpet. Early in that episode, he ends up breaking his neck and, and uh, um, he's scared to death of, of Walt and his family. So he's not going to... In a great scene, yeah.
2: by the way. The the scene where, he's, where he shows that he's scared to death because you think he's going to turn her in. And then he's like, just please don't hurt me or my family.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. But he ends up getting his his neck broken. But that scene gets telegraphed just before where he trips over a rug. I really wish they had. Yeah, seen when that. Huel,
0: when Huel and the other guys show up, yeah, he trips over the the carpet when they come in, and then. But it was just hilarious because he just runs almost like a girl. You know, he just kind of like <laughs> his crazy run, and then trips over the rug and then slant, You know, slides headfirst into the cabinet. It was again black comedy. You know, you just it, it's like it's not funny, but you find yourself laughing. Um, and it's funny too because it was ambiguous you know you didn't know is Ted dead is he just you know you you know, you thought he broke his neck and he's dead but you know we find out no that's that, you know he's, he's um alive maybe not well but he's definitely alive right the other thing we get in season four again this turn of Walter White but we get probably the most awesome quote of any TV show ever oh yeah where we're you know Skyler is concerned that you know based on what's going on and you know Walt got beat up and you know when him and Mike kind of have their throwdown in the bar that you know somebody's going to show up uh, at their doorstep and you know shoot Walt in the head or you know or them or whatever and, and Walt just gives this monologue and, and it just kind of gets louder and more intense as it as it goes on but it, it kind of ends with him saying you know I am the one who knocks
2: who are you talking to right now
1: who is it you think you see Do you know how much I make a year? I mean, even if I told you, you wouldn't believe
0: it. Do you know what would happen if I suddenly decided to stop going into work? A business big enough that it could be listed on the NASDAQ goes belly up. Disappears. It ceases to exist without me. No, you clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skylar. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. It's just awesome. I mean, it's chilling that he has taken such a turn from this mild-mannered, meek, um, chemi- high school chemistry teacher slash car wash a cashier who's kind of henpecked by his wife. You know, in the beginning, Skyler watched what he spent on the credit cards and, you know, the account and everything else, and, and you know, now we have this.
2: I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. <laughs> yeah. It's got a great opening line and a great ending line, but then also another great line at the end of the season after Gus has been dealt with, and again, this was the part where it could have been the end of the show. What happened? I won. I mean, yeah. can you think of a better ending line for that character? I mean, yes, a better ending is one where he either has to live with what he's done or or gets his, he reaps his just rewards, but in that moment in the show, I won was just... Oh, so perfect.
0: Yeah. One, yeah. again, we get, you know, one of the things this show does, there's there's a couple things that are, like, tropes of this show. One is, at the beginning of the season, they always, like, rewind a little bit to the season before. So, you know, I guess at the end of season one, it was, the, it was they were in the junkyard, I think, with Tuco. Right. And so, and, and you know, the, he beats the one guy to death and tells the other guy to take care of it. So Season 2, we rewind a little bit and get a little bit more insight as to what's going on. At the end of Season 2, it's... um
2: the Well, the plane crashes.
0: Right, right. It's the whole plane crash thing. And so at the beginning of Season 3, we kind of get this... Uh, it backs up again before that. At the end of Season 3, it's the shooting of Gale. And, of course, when Season 4 starts, we, we back up and, and see what's going on there. And we always get a little extra. And the same thing with the beginning of Season 5... We back up to the conversation that Walt and uh, Skyler had on the phone, and then we cut to Walt, who's you know gathering up all the evidence to destroy, you know, the the bomb-making material and all that other kind of stuff that he's uh, he's he's getting up. So that's kind of one of them. The other is um, the passage of time. Like they always do the the really quick, um, you know, a lot of times shots of the skyline to go from you know daylight to night or night to daylight or. You know, to show days passing or whatnot in hyperspeed. Um, and the other thing is always like the angles. Like, they'll do something where if they're wiping away dirt on the ground, they'll actually construct the set to where there's like plexiglass or whatever, and the camera's shooting up and they're actually sweeping, you know, so you're getting their view of them from underneath. And we've seen that many times, you know, the, the, the whole bathtub thing and, uh, with the floor and, um, you know out in the desert when they were you know digging something up they do that a lot where we get these um you know you know straight up angles of them doing something through a, a invisible you know floor or ceiling or whatever you know uh on on a humorous level
1: considering uh concerning these tropes there's a there's a website that's come up called betting bad where you can bet on um make your predictions about how um breaking bad's gonna end but uh, one of the things that this website did was they put together a video, a montage of things that always happen in the series. And one of them is Walt Jr. having breakfast. Apparently, there yes. are uh, yeah. <laughs> during the season, he has breakfast like several times throughout the season. <laughs> and, and there's also almost, lots
2: of mentions of him wanting to have breakfast <laughs> or can we have breakfast now? Yeah. The big question of the show is not what will happen to Walt, but whether Walter Jr. will have breakfast. Yes.
1: (laughs) I think that's really what the show is about at the end. It's what Walt Jr. is going to eat for breakfast.
0: (laughs) And I guess the answer is danger. Yes. (laughs) But season five is really the turn. I mean, that's where... And I noticed it a lot more when I was watching it this last time than even the first time, is he just really takes this turn to the point of no return. I mean, he... I think maybe in the little in the end he pulls it back, but he just is so far gone for the most of these eight episodes that it's it's remarkable how dark he gets.
1: Well he he's a bitter man too because it, you know, we learned a little bit more about, about uh Grey Matter and how how he lost his opportunity. He should be a millionaire, a billionaire, but because of circumstances he's not. And I forget what the
0: circumstances are. do you guys recall they They've never been fully fleshed out i mean they've they've heavily hinted that a a lot of it had to do with his relationship with with Gretchen like you know obviously Walter and Gretchen were involved. You know we don't know if something happens between Gretchen and Elliot that puts Walter on the outs and he just can't stand to be around them, so he takes his five grand and bails out It's never really detailed what exactly happened but it's it's hinted that it has something to do with gretchen it has something to do with um with elliot and him in this you know kind of love triangle thing um and you know obviously we know from from the show that gray matter comes you know becomes this you know multi-billion dollar company
1: yeah and just how that's i mean that drives walter i mean it's like he feels entitled to some type of success, to be, to be in, he needs to be empowered by some way. And it's just, you know, I guess when he found out that he had this cancer, this was his last chance. You know, living good hasn't done him anything. Living bad, he has really
0: made a name for himself in a way. And, but we've gotten, like season five to me had some awesome, episodes too i mean at the very beginning you know they're worried about uh fring's laptop and you know they concoct this crazy scheme where they wire up all these batteries they get this huge magnet from the junkyard Science. and they go to the police in- yeah they go to the police impound and um you know basically turn the magnet on and destroy uh, the laptop and all the evidence uh to the point where the whole i love it the truck just you know you know tips up, you know, and hits the building, and they they run. Um, One of the best episodes of the entire season, if not, or series, if not the best, uh, was the train robbery episode, where they need to get their hands on the methylamine, and uh, they concoct this, Jesse, you know, basically it's his idea, um, but they concoct this, this scheme to rob the train as it's going, so that nobody ever even knows it's robbed. And again, a lot of humor and a lot of high tension uh, and just just a great, well-constructed episode.
2: Yeah, I would say it rivals One Minute for my favorite episode of the show ever. Yeah. It's such a good, I mean, from the beginning to the end with, with the um, book endings uh, moments with the kid on the bike yeah. and just the tension of the whole thing. Bill Burr shows up. I love when Bill Burr shows up because he's a funny comedian. Yeah. And it, it's just so good, start to finish that entire episode. I just watched it last night and it holds up every every bit of it holds up it is so good
1: you know i did not see the way the way that episode ends is is uh uh, that new guy ends up uh killing that little kid todd i didn't see that coming and i was shocked when it happened absolutely shocked and yeah and and the episode that follows it where they they they're kind of having to dispose of the evidence is heartbreaking
0: oh it's horrible yeah I'm with you when the, that was another one of those, um, you know, season four episodes where Walt, you know, runs the guy over and shoots him in the head and tells Jesse to run. That episode had the same impact to me, although it it, it was much more sudden. Um, but yeah, I, I agree, Frank. I mean, when they take that bike apart piece by piece oh. and put it in the acid with the bot, I was just like, oh my god, this is. And you could tell, like, as hardened as Mike is. It it's really bugging him, and it doesn't seem like I think Walter feigns that it it bothers him, but you can tell for him and Todd, like it it really doesn't. Like in his mind, he's completely justified it, and Walt and and Jesse and and Mike are completely beside that. You know, that's their moment where that's like, okay, that's it, no more.
2: That that you know, we're we're out, we're done. Yeah, and I love how the scene is played wordlessly. It's just I mean, I think there's some light music in the background, but yeah. just. It is like five minutes of silence and just dread and <laughs>
1: yeah, so dark. Dread. But so good. That's a that's a perfect word for it. It's just dre- every everyone in there is
0: just like, oh, what have we done? The, one of the cool things that we've seen in season four and five, or at least from or for me, is kind of the the rise of of Hank and that he's you know he's coming back from his shooting. You know the fact that he was justified with the whole you know uh, Gus thing. You know that that. He, you know, he kind of latched on to that, and it turns out he was right from the beginning. And he not only gets his job back, but you know, becomes, you know, the agent in charge of the whole office out of Albuquerque. You know, up until the end, when he finally has that moment when, you know, it's funny. It's like Walt decides he's out. You know, well, I, I should probably back up. One another awesome scene is when Skyler you know Walter's he's he's cooking with Todd and we have that awesome montage about um you know they 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 pan over the city and you see the tents going up that they're because <laughs> they're now cooking meth in, in houses that are being fumigated because there's tents over them and nobody would complain about the smell and they can kind of move in and move out um nobody's going to come up on them and they pan over and you just see the houses you know getting tented you know, one one after one after one, and then the planes, you know, flying and taking off because they've expanded out to 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 sell, you know, meth overseas. They've got uh, Lydia Rodart Quayle, who uh, has has kind of come into their their little band, the most nervous woman on the face <laughs> of the planet. Oh, she's awesome! I love I love. Lydia. And I believe
2: the actress is Scottish. I want to say she yes. masks the accent very well, though.
0: Yeah, Laura Fraser. Yeah, very 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 striking looking woman. Um, yes. So yeah, she, she's kind of gotten in in on on the action here, and Walt kind of comes home after just like stressed out, you know, tired, having to to do all this, and Skylar takes him out to a storage locker, opens the door, and and there's this pile of money that is probably what like three feet tall and about six feet square. I would say it,
2: it would be the size of a small hot tub if you just filled a hot tub with money.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's, yeah. it, it's a pallet that's got to be you know just under waist high, you know, like mid thigh yeah. high, maybe maybe waist high, but
0: and it and she just explains to him, she's like, I don't even know how much this is. I stopped counting. I couldn't keep track of it.
2: She thought about weighing it, but that wouldn't even be accurate enough.
0: Yeah, she's like, I I couldn't launder this much money if we owned a hundred car washes like it's just it's too much she's like why are you know basically why are you still doing this I want my family back enough is enough we, we could never spend this much money and it's kind of cool because Walter at that moment says realizes you know even after his whole I'm in the Empire business and you know that whole bit with uh with the with the new drug supplier out in the desert and he's you know Oh, you know, oh, you know, Salamanca. The the cartel took out Fring, and you know, he says, "No, it was you know, you know, it, you know, it was me." You know, it was me. And he has that old speech, and he's like, "Say my name." And now, say
1: my name,
0: Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. And I was just like, oh, again, another awesome. Awesome moment. Um, uh-huh. But but he kind of realizes, like, she's right. Like, I've lost, the whole purpose of me doing this was for my family. We now have more money than we could ever possibly do, d- spend. We have a business that is actually profitable, um, partially due to the laundering, I think partially just due to the fact that they're running a profitable business. And so he decides to get out. And it's like, everything's just kind of, you know, Mike is dead. You know, Jesse's kind of, I think at this point, more or less just kind of doing his own thing and floating by. And it seems like, you know, the family's gotten back together. Everybody seems happy. And at that moment, Hank's bowels get the better of him. And when he has that moment, when he sits down on that toilet, I was like, oh, man, here we come. Because they had shown that book like three or four times in the in the couple episodes preceding. And I was like, oh, man. And sure enough, he opens that book. And I was just like, oh, man. And and he reads the little foreword, and they just he just looks at the camera and has that look of like fright, excitement, you know, sc- you know, he's scared, and then boom, that's how that that's how it ends. And I was just like, now that is a cliffhanger.
1: That is a literal oh crap moment. They they <laughs> they should have had a like cut to the cut to the credits and just you know yeah ear, ear plops in the water. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) And who'd have thought in the beginning of season one that Hank would be such a major character, such a well-written character, such a well-realized character, and a character that you would root for as much as at least I am at this point.
0: And it's going to be crazy, right? Because if Hank moves forward with this on the face, then he's going to look like the biggest doofus on the planet. Like, this whole time his own brother-in-law right under his nose, like, everybody's going to look back and go, he bought a car, they bought a car wash, he had his own place, like, he paid for all this... Meth. Like, it's all going to start coming out that it was so obvious that how could this seasoned DEA agent that even figured out, you know, that Gus Fring was, you know, the owner of, of, of this prestigious chicken restaurant was the biggest meth cook or, you know, meth king in the, you know, southwest United States... And he couldn't even figure out his own brother-in-law was cooking meth. I mean, we saw what happened to the the previous ASAC over the Fring thing, right? Like, because he was involved in the fun run and he, you know, he had a relationship with Gus and it turned out to be Gus, that they railroaded his butt out of the, out of the DEA. And I'm sure Hank has to be thinking, oh, my God, what are they going to do to me? This guy was my freaking brother-in-law.
2: I think that. Hank is a man of enough integrity, though, that he will do what is right, even though it will it will probably destroy his career.
0: And we kind of saw that, right? I mean, when he went off on Jesse and beat him to a pulp, he filed a report that basically spoke the truth. You know, he didn't lie, he didn't pull any punches, and he took his consequences as they were. So I, I definitely see where they've set that that precedent up. Right. I'm just really, really curious to see... If, if he faces Hank head on or if it's just if the tables are turned. Right. Like a lot of season five was Hank and or was a uh, Walton crew. You know, they bugged Hank's office. They were, you know, stayed one step ahead throughout the whole show. Even he's used his relationship with Hank to gain information, whether on purpose or sometimes just by accident. Of what's going on to stay one step ahead of the DEA, I wonder if now it's going to be the opposite.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to be how, how it plays out because if Walt is really out, the, uh, uh, his brother-in-law has to act fast. Yeah, because there won't be anything to prosecute. You know, he's if Walt is truly out, and and does it become a, you know, th- does it become a, a ploy game because he he sees those initials in that book? And I mean, did you did you get the impression that he absolutely knows it's Walt or. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think because they
2: played that voiceover from season four with the uh, WW. Who could that stand for? Could it be Walter White and Walt saying you got me? I think because they played that, it was to show you not only to show the audience, remind them, but also to show you that that was him putting the pieces together yeah. that he absolutely knows.
0: Yeah. And it said GB like from GB.
2: Yeah. To my other favorite WW. W.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, I don't think there's any question that Hank knows who it is. But this season was different, too, because now, you know, with the whole bit with the plane, we got like a fast forward of something that happened that season in season two with the, you know, with the plane crashing. But this was a little more extreme in the beginning of season five. We know that Walter turned 51 uh, during season five. So the show started on his 50th birthday. We got to season five. He was 51. In the fast-forward sequence that we got at the very beginning of season five, he's actually in a diner on his 52nd birthday. So obviously, the, the, you know, the, and he's got a beard, and his hair's grown back. He's using an assumed name and an assumed identity. Right. Uh, says he's, he's
2: actually using his wife's maiden name, I believe, and he's got, like, uh, New Hampshire plates and a New Hampshire license and stuff. And a giant right.
1: gun.
0: Yes. And it's funny, the guy that sold him the gun... Or that, that that he hands the keys to and everything is the same guy that that sold him the 38 in that hotel room in season I guess it was season three right yeah same guy so that was that was kind of a cool I didn't notice that the first time but since I'd you know marathon the episodes it, it was a little more obvious and there's speculation
2: based on that scene some people are convinced that Walter is wearing a wire in that scene um, from some of the shots and it appears his cancer's back but more, more importantly some people think he may be working for the DEA. And that could be a way that Hank turns it around to ah. um, both get him, but also not go down with the ship. Oh,
1: my. Um, it, unknown. Gosh, I haven't heard that.
2: Yeah, there's some shots. Like, you can find screenshots where people are convinced that they can see a wire under his shirt. So, Wow. Um, Interesting. It's, it's worth checking out. Now, we know the first scene of part two of season five will also have a flash forward to basically right after that. Um, I don't know that I should spoil it here. Um, I would say go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so if anybody doesn't want to hear this, skip forward you know a minute or whatever. Um, but again, it's Walter with the full beard and the full hair, driving that car he got in at the end of that scene, going to his house to the to the White family home, which is now basically in a state of looks condemned. It's covered in. It's covered in graffiti. The grass is all overgrown. There's kids in the back, like, skating, uh, skateboarding in the drained pool. And he goes into the house, and he turns around, and you can see that on the wall, someone has spray-painted the word Heisenberg on the wall. So it may have gone, like, full in the news. Everybody knows who he is. He goes into his bedroom. He takes the um, electrical outlet cover off the wall. He removes the ricin vial he leaves the house and gets back in his car but as he's getting back in his car his neighbor whose name i think is carol walks by and she's like going into her house and she sees him and she drops the grocery she's holding and he says i believe he says hi carol or something like that or he waves and then the scene ends mm. so who knows where it's going all i know is i can't wait and thankfully i don't have to wait very long <laughs> because it's back on sunday <laughs> yes yes and then just eight more episodes
1: total. I am very, very excited about this. Um, about the wire idea. God, that's crazy! I just looked up I a know, couple right? pictures right now, and it—you could say it, yeah. You definitely could. So, gentlemen,
2: is this a good time to make our announcement?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, so. yeah. I think so.
2: So we we came to this idea. I think Frank might have been the one to initially float the idea by us, but we all love it. We are going to be doing a Breaking Bad podcast for the last eight episodes of the season. If you want to get a hold of it, you're going to need to subscribe to the Master HHW feed. It's absolutely free. Many of you are already subscribed to it, and you will get it no problem. If you just listen to Walking Dead TV and you want to hear our Breaking Bad episodes, the show will be called Los Podcast Hermanos. <laughs> um, I forget who came up with the name originally. Uh, Frank, Johnny maybe, or rest, but... Was Who's it Johnny M? M? Our, our, our good friend Johnny M came up with it. It's going to be a short show. That's why we're not doing our own feed for it. It's just going to be those, you know, nine or ten episodes. Probably We'll probably do one or two after it's done just to, like, wrap it up and talk about the show some more and how much we love it or maybe how much we hated the ending. Who knows? <laughs> but if you like Breaking Bad, and we hope you do, uh, tune into the Master Feed on com. It's absolutely free and easy to sign up. You can get it through iTunes. You can get it through any of those podcatcher-type things you use. And uh, Los Podcast Hermanos, we will be back to talk Breaking Bad for this final half of the season.
1: So
0: happy. Yeah, really excited. I I would say that lately some shows haven't exactly lived up to the expectation as to how they've ended. I I don't think anything in this day and age, the way we hype everything up, can truly live up to the hype. But I think something tells me this is going to be a satisfying ending.
2: Yeah, the thing that really makes me feel that way is the end of season four. Because that could have been the end of the show. And I was happy with the ending they gave us there. I'm, I'm even more, I don't really want to say convinced because, again, I don't want to get my, my hopes too high up either. But it gives me a lot of confidence in their ability to pull off an ending because they've already done it once and I loved it. So they just need to do it again.
1: Do you guys want to make some quick predictions about how you think it's going to end? I have one. Sure, go ahead. Well, my prediction is how it's going to end is that Walt's going to loo- Walt is going to live to be a very old man. Sitting in a wheelchair, uh, a la what's the character's name? The bell ringer Hector Salamanca. A a la Hector, his family has died, and uh, and he has money, and he is just a lonely old man just waiting to die.
2: I could totally buy that. I could also see Hank killing him. I could see Skylar killing him. I could see Walter Jr. killing him, (laughs) and you know, like finding out last minute and having to kill him, or even Jesse. I can see Jesse killing him as well. But I, I think either he needs to die or he needs to live a broken person who lost everything he had fought to save, mainly his family. But it needs to be something along those lines for it to be a satisfying ending. Yeah. Now, granted, season four was not that and it was still satisfying, so maybe I'm wrong. But because they're able to bring it to a full conclusion this time, I think really to follow this character's arc to its logical tra- trajectory he needs to be a broken person, either dead or just bereft of all the things he was fighting for.
0: I think a, a few things. One, in season five, he, you know, for, for, it seemed like for a while they kind of went away from the cancer thing. You were like, is he still sick even? Um, but in season five, he did go for another scan.
2: And he was taking pills in the flash forward.
0: Right. And they never told us the results of the, sc- of the scan. So my guess is, that the cancer comes back we see him coughing he's very sick there's not much they can do he's not going to go through another round of chemo so he just basically lets it play out something happens to skyler and the kids like they either go into witness protection or something like that and and he's lost them they're gone the money all the money gets gets confiscated like they don't end up with any of that any of that money they've already kind of set the precedent for that several times with the whole, you know, Mike's guys and their money got got snagged twice. But I think Walter's in a situation where he has to do something to protect Jesse. And I think Walter is going to end up either dead from the cancer or in a blaze of glory, so that Jesse could can go off and live some semblance of a normal life and get things back on track for him. I, I see Jesse as may. Well, you know, we talked about it, Saul as well. But I, I think Jesse's going to come out of this able to to live some semblance of a normal life and kind of avoid getting locked up or, or whatever.
1: Now, uh, it may, this may be a rumor, but I heard Saul was getting a spinoff?
2: That is true. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not set in stone that it will happen, but they have moved beyond just the, this would be a cool idea phase two, they're in active pre-production now, it sounds like, in trying to turn this into a real thing. Whether it will be a prequel show, a sequel show, or what we don't know. I mean, Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, has pretty much said you know, Saul is a cockroach. He always survives, so they don't know if it's going to be a half-hour show, an hour show, more of a comedy, more of a drama, more of a mix, but yes, it looks like we will be getting a Better Call Saul, Saul Goodman spin-off show, and I could not be more thrilled, because <laughs> I think Bob Odenkirk as Saul is absolutely fantastic in the show and could totally support his own Frasier-esque spin-off. I agree. Well, those all sound like awesome prediction guys, and we'll uh, we'll see how they pan out. Until next time, and until we find out, though, you can leave us a voicemail, either for Walking Dead TV or for Los Podcast Hermanos. Uh, Feel free to give us a voicemail or an email. You can call us at 516-468-7912. You can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. You can check out all of our great shows at com. That includes Half Hour Wasted with the great Frank. Thank you for joining us, Frank, and we we cannot wait to talk to you in the future on Los,
1: Los Podcast Hermanos. Guys, I'm really excited. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, not a problem at all. You can also check out The Long Box of Doom with myself and Russ. The Black Box, out now, our brand new shows, Jersey Shore, which is my show, Really BS, and uh, many, many more. And of course, those shows can be found on Facebook as well. You can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, we are not in danger, podcast listeners. We are the danger. Have a good week, everybody.
1: So long, bye guys.
2: We never start with five, so I don't know why. I, I don't know why I would do that. This Want to
0: time. be extra ready?
1: <laughs> I'm all nervous because Frank
2: is here. It's podcasting royalty.
1: Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is a. Then
0: our kingdom's in trouble then.
2: (laughs) We're not in the money business. We're in the (laughs) podcasting business. And there's no. We're
0: not in the podcasting business. We're in the empire
2: business. (laughs) I just need to find a clip of of, uh, Brian Cranston saying the word podcasting and edit it into that sound clip. (laughs) That'd be awesome.